0: you know there's uh, since the the prayer meeting started this morning um, downstairs, there was a, a, a real sense of i don't know relaxedness. I don't know if it's just because we've all had a bit of time off over Christmas, but it's all very chill you know so it's it's nice to come up here. I feel like i'm you know i'm I'm, I'm stepping into the uh, the coffee shop of chat and uh, enjoying a little bit of Conversation preach. So, maybe that's what we're going to have this morning. So, I'm going to start off by telling you a story. And this one's a true story. So, 25 years ago, there was a bunch of car enthusiasts that got together and decided to create a car rally. Now this was back in the days where you know those Fast and the Furious movies, they're just coming out. It was two, 2002, they'd just come out and there was this whole big vibe going on about fast and souped up cars. It was like it was the big thing at the time. So a couple of folks got together and they were like, wouldn't it be really cool to get rich and famous people in really fast cars and drive them around? So they created this thing that some of you may have heard of before called the Gumball 3000. Anyone heard of the Gumball 3000? No. Okay, you're learning something new this morning. Okay, so the Gumball 3000, it wasn't a race, it was a rally. That's what they called it. And what they did is it was invite only. They got a bunch of people who had fast, nice cars, and they would say, we're going to have a route. It would took a few days to do, like four or five days. They would start at one city, and they would go from city to city, across America or across Europe or something like that, on these rallies. Now, in 2002, it started in New York, It finished in Los Angeles, and I want to bring attention this morning to one of the cars that was with the rally that year. It was a very bright yellow BMW M3, but what was really interesting wasn't the car itself. Sorry for those of you BMW owners. It wasn't the car that was exciting. It wasn't even the drivers that were exciting. It's what they were doing there. I will explain. You see, the entry fee for the Gumball 3000, if you were lucky enough to get an invite, then in order to join, you had to pay the equivalent of back then, what was about half a million rand to join the rally. Because they wanted to make it exclusive, right? It wanted to be rich and famous, fast cars. And these guys um, who were driving this car, well, there were a couple of journalists. They didn't have that kind of money. They were just two guys with a funky yellow car. So they said, well, one of our friends is on the rally. So we'll just go along and check it out. So anyway, so they turned up at the starting. there was a parking lot at the start. And they turned up behind their friend. Their friend drove in. You know what they did? They just drove in behind. No one said anything. They parked next to all the Ford Mustangs and the Dodge Chargers and the Ferraris. They parked their car there and they went up to the registration desk where all the other drivers were, and they noticed that the drivers were going up and getting handed a piece of paper with their names and a big number written on it. And then the drivers were going down putting this in the windshield. So they thought, we could do that. So they went and got a marker pen and a piece of paper and they wrote a random number and their names and they went and they shoved it in their windshield. And then they promptly you know, went to a hotel or whatever. Next day they came down All of the cars in the parking lot had been stickered up with Gumball, Rally, this, that, all the sponsors, including theirs. With one difference. All the other cars had had a number put on the side which matched the number in the windshield. On their windshield, they would had a little note put, a handwritten note. Duplicate number, come to the registration desk. Do you think they did? No. They just pitched up at the start and they were like, hey, well, let's join in. The only things they were missing were a number and a wristband to say that they were part of the rally. So anyway, they pitched up at the start. They, uh, they started off the rally all together and everyone's whooping and hollering and all these nice fancy flash cars went down, including their yellow BMW M3. And um, they finished at a hotel at that night and they had a blast. And they thought, the one problem is that there's all these events happening, like after parties and events and stuff, and they don't have a wristband. So the next morning, they went to the registration desk, and they went, um, the wristband from yesterday, don't have it today. And so the registration desk went, oh, no problem, here, have a new one. So now, they even had a registration band. The rally went on, and it went from city to city. And something interesting happened. They said that as the race went on, they didn't start to feel like imposters. They actually started to feel like actual gumballers. Because they were with the rally, everyone was driving along. The only difference was that they didn't have a number on their car. Other than that, they took part in everything, every party, every event, they were there. A Few days later, they rolled over the finish line in Los Angeles with all the rest of the rally. And then the trouble started because what they were done, they were journalists, and so they'd made a video of this whole trip, and somehow the organizers got hold of a copy of this video, and the organizers sussed that something wasn't right, and it ended up in lawsuits, because these people had been doing things they weren't supposed to do. And in the end, these two journalists were found guilty and made to pay a huge fine for their audacity and the nonsense they'd caused. It's a true story, you can find it on on the internet. You might be wondering why in George in 2024, 22 years later, I'm telling you a story about two guys in a bright yellow BMW M3. But the truth is I think that their story is often our story. Because I think that very often, we think in life that we can fake it till we make it. We think in life that what we can do is make our appearance so good that our appearance is actually more important than the substance. Of course, we don't think we think that, right? We don't think that way, but... If we're really honest with ourselves, it's kind of what we do. Why is it, if we don't think that way, why is it that when we post a selfie on Facebook, we've thrown away 20 where it looks like we've been dragged through a hedge backwards? And we only post the one. Why is it that we walk into church hand in hand with our spouse, all smiles, Ah! in the car, in the way there, we've been screaming blue murder at each other? Why is it that we are at a bri and someone says, what do you do for a living? And you have to come up with the most impressive job title. So we call ourselves an author of functional digital poetry rather than computer programmer. Or is that just me? Okay. Why do we do this? We actually need to put our best foot forward all the time. We need to make it look really, really good. And sooner or later, that show kind of feels like reality to us. And it seems like the thing that really matters. And here's the thing that really scares me I think that sometimes, and I include myself in this, I think we do it in our Christian walk too. How many of us have fridge magnets with a nice verse from Ephesians just so when you go to get the milk in the morning you can feel extra spiritual? How many of us on a Sunday after we've been to church, we make sure we greet a couple of people just so that you know they know that we were there. How many of us go to spend some time with somebody who's going through something, because we really want people to know that we've got a good heart. How many of us would welcome somebody we don't know? Not because we want them to feel welcomed, but because we want people to see us welcoming someone. Now that might be harsh, but I'm going to be totally honest with you. There's been elements of all those things in my life in the past. There's been a little bit of that in me. And there's a little bit of that in me still. Because it's the way we are. We like the appearance. We do. We sometimes do things not out of conviction, but because we know other people are watching us. So this morning, I want to talk about something that I'm titling, The Real Thing. Because there's good news. The good news is this, that we can be the real thing. And those things that we do for show, we can actually change that for reality. We can become a true participant in the race. And I'm going to look at this in three points. And the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about how we can be the real thing because of our pure motives, our pure motives. So a little bit of a, tell you something about me. I am a bit of a klutz when it comes to housework. I'm very clumsy. Um, I'm not very good at housework. That's not an excuse. It's just an admission of guilt. So I really do try. God knows I try. I really do. Um, But I always end up messing things up. So true story. Uh, Last night after supper, I decided I would do the washing up. And now the reason I decided I'd do the washing up is because Renee's hurt her finger a bit. So she's got a sore finger. So it's actually really sore for her to do things in the kitchen. And I thought, knight in shining armor, I, I will do the washing up. My heart is noble, my heart is pure. I felt good about it. I, this is like, yeah. And that's what we do in our Christian walk. You know, we, we see something that needs doing or we see someone that needs something or, or a word of encouragement that someone needs or something. And so what we do is we nobly undertake to deal with that thing, to go to that thing. We say, I, I got this. Noble and pure. And we think God is surely going to reward us richly for doing this noble task. So back to the washing up. So I'd done this washing up. And a little while later, um, I was in the room uh, writing the notes for this preach. And Renee comes to me and she says, uh, why does it look like someone's been wrestling a hippo in the sink? Why is there a little ark with two of every kind of animal floating across the counter? And I realized that I had caused a flood of biblical proportions during the washing up. And now she was naturally, you know, a little bit upset at having to clean this up. I thought that was totally unfair. How could she be upset with me? Because my motives were noble and pure. But she was thinking... Okay, but your motives, you might have thought they were noble and pure, but you were sloppy and careless and you created a whole bunch of work for me. It's not fair. Because don't I get to dictate how my motives should be judged? And when it comes to things in God's kingdom, don't I get to dictate to God how my motives should be judged? Right? I get to decide how my motives should be judged, not God. Let's see what the Bible says. Proverbs 16.2 says this. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Oh. Okay. So, let me get this right. I can think I'm doing something noble and pure. Genuinely. Yes. But to God, he weighs me differently. I don't think many of us try to do rotten things. I'll be honest. I don't think like we go out of our way and think, I'm going to do something rotten today. If you do think that way, please come forward for prayer at the end. Okay? But most of us, we try and do good things. We try, right? The problem is this. Our hearts can deceive us. In fact, you know what? It's not even that our hearts can deceive us. Our hearts do deceive us. It says this in Jeremiah 179 to 10 It says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. In other words, God is the one that does the examining and God is the one that decides what the rewards should be and what's deserved, not me. So at this point, we might be realizing that in actual fact, to be the real thing, maybe it isn't just about pure motives. Because what we think are pure motives, yeah, it's how God sees us that matters, not how we see ourselves. So maybe we shouldn't be relying on our own sense of well-being to be the real thing. The good news is this. God tells us we can be the real thing. He tells us your motives aren't important. And then he says how we can be the real thing. Let's get to that. How can we be the real thing? But before I get there, I do need to go one more place. We are going to look at how we can be the real thing. But before we get there, we need to be real with ourselves. We need to be real with ourselves. Now, if you ask someone, like, you know someone who plays chopsticks on the piano, you know? right? Someone plays chopsticks on the piano. You ask them if they're a good musician. People have this thing. They somehow think that they're actually Mozart's long-lost cousin, because they know how to play chopsticks, right? You get someone who, I don't know, threw a cricket ball at school once. They were, uh, yeah, they played cricket to a decent level as a youngster. You know, we take the things we do, and we somehow seem to inflate them in our mind. We don't know we're doing it. We do it automatically. We think of ourselves better than we should. It's actually a psychologically proven thing. For those who are interested in psychology, it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Not South African, before you ask. But it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. The way that we take something and we think more of ourselves than we should about it. If we want to be the real thing to a world full of fakery, full of people who think more than themselves, we have to be real about ourselves. We have to admit that if we only play chopsticks, we're no maestro. We have to admit that if we threw a cricket ball at a pigeon, it doesn't make us jaunty roads. We have to be real about who we are. And it's the same in our Christian walk. We may have spent years attending church. We may have given piles of cash to good causes. We may have gone to youth camps. We may have prayed for people. We might have evangelized on street corners, but in all the same way that chopsticks does not a concept pianist make, none of those things actually makes us a good Christian. Actually, it doesn't even make us a Christian at all. That's not to say they're bad things. They're good things. They're things we should be doing, but they themselves don't make us a Christian. In Matthew 7:21 to 23, it says this. I find this terrifying. I think most of you, if you're not, you know this passage, right? Most of you find this one of the most terrifying passages in Scripture. I, I do. I'll be honest. It scares living daylights out of me. Why? Because you know what? The people this passage is talking about totally believed they were the real thing. They did. They were like, oh, I'm the real thing. Look at all I've done. And it doesn't say, doesn't say we tried to do these things. It says they did them. These guys were the ultimate gumball rallyists. They did everything. They looked the part. They sounded the part. They even started thinking they were the part. But they didn't have the number on their car. They weren't actually part of the journey. It's not about what they did. It's about who they knew. They never knew Jesus. They never had Jesus in their hearts. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 13 5. He says this Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you, unless, of course, you fail the test? So this is quite scary. How do you know? You examine yourselves. So one of the questions I've asked myself many years in my Christian walk is, okay, examine yourself to know. I want to know I'm in the faith. I want to know that I'm a genuine, real thing, real deal participant in this. How do I do that? Thankfully, God tells us. In 1 John 3, 19 to 24, it says this. This is how we know that we belong to the truth. This is how we know we're the real thing. This is how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask, because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command. So just to explain, everything to that point says, if your hearts don't condemn you because you're following his command— So if you follow his command, which is coming now, your hearts will be at peace and you will know you are in the truth. So this is what we have to do. This is how we know. This is how we get assurance. This is his command. To believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's command lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit He gave us. Let me put it another way. If you want to know if you're the real deal, if you want to know if you're in the truth, you trust in Jesus, you love him, you love your brothers and sisters, and his spirit inside you will give you a peace in your heart. And if you don't have that peace, if you're afraid of what comes at the end of the journey, you need to ask yourself a real question. So what should we do? If we know we've got the peace of God within us, we know his spirit lives in us, And we're here at the start of 2024, and we're saying, this year, I want to be the real thing. This year, I want to be the real deal. This year, I don't want any space for fakery in my life. There's no show. There's no appearance. I want the real deal this year. What do we do? For a start, don't do everything. That might sound like a strange thing to say. You're probably thinking that a preacher here should say, you should be everything. You should be preaching and teaching and loving and prophesying and words. You should be, all these things should be put. No. Don't do everything. You see, why is that? If I'm everything, what does that leave you to be? If I'm the prophet, if I'm the worship leader, if I'm the preacher, if I'm the counselor, if I'm the prayer warrior, if I'm all these things, what does it leave you to be? And even more than that, do you think I'm all of those things? Because I don't. You should hear me trying to play the piano. But somehow, we have this thing where the need inside us to say, I can be these things. I'm, I'm, I, I need to be these things. I'm called to be all these things. Sometimes what we do is we grasp the things that God hasn't asked us to do. The problem is if we grasp the things that God hasn't asked us to do, we don't do the things he has asked us to do. So if you want to do one thing in 2024, I'm going to suggest this. Find out what God has asked you to do and do it with everything. But don't do everything just do that thing. I'm going to back this up by scripture so you can see that I'm not just using Dan wisdom. This is Romans 12, three to seven. Paul says this, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we, it's the church, though many, form one body, and each member belongs all to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with, a faith, with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's leading, do it diligently. If it's showing mercy, do it cheerfully. Do you get that reference again to examine yourself at the beginning? (laughs) It's just saying, be real. Examine yourself. What has God called you to do? That thing, do it. Don't try and be everything. But in that one thing, give everything. Now, it might be that coming into 2024, you don't actually know what your spiritual gifts are. You may not know yet what God has called you to. That's the most exciting time. That's so cool. You get to explore it. So, explore it gently with your brothers and sisters and find what God has called you to. And when you find what God has called you to, run! Run hard. So if we know we're in the faith, and we know that God has called us to something, even if we don't know what it is yet, but we know we've been called to something, how can we be the real thing to a world that so badly needs reality? And my last point is this. More than anything else, the one thing that has to be genuine, has to be real, is our love. We have to love genuinely and sincerely. You see, Paul, in that passage, he tells the Romans about using their spiritual gifts. So he gives all the gifts, and then he goes straight on to say this. This is directly after all those spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 9 to 10, he says this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Now, if Paul says, love must be sincere, does that suggest to you that there's also a love that's not sincere? Love must be sincere. Well, then, what does insincere love look like? Well, if we get that verse back up, you can kind of see, actually. So what does insincere love look like? Well, you might be showing the outward signs of love, but... Are we really hating what is evil? Or in actual fact, behind closed doors, do we have sins or addictions which we're not willing to give up? It's going to be very hard to show a sincere love if we're loving what is evil inside. What about being devoted to one another in love? Are we really devoted in love? Or do we do the bare minimum that's needed In something do I do the bare minimum to express sympathy to someone or am I devoted over and above what's needed do we honor one another above ourselves or secretly if we're honest with ourselves do we actually think that we're the main event and everyone else is just a bit part player to get us to our glorious purpose Love has to be sincere. The reality is that people know when love's not sincere. Insincere love has a smell. Okay, so audience participation. This is really risky, but hey, new year, new risks. Okay, so if you've ever, and I want you to be totally honest, and I'm gonna be honest, right? If you've ever felt like someone has shown you insincere love, put your hand up. Right? Pretty much everybody. We're being honest. You know that there's a time when someone's shown you insincere love. Got some bad news for you. In the same way that you've experienced insincere love, you've probably also shown it. I know I have. In fact, I would go so far as to say this. I've been here a year, nearly, in George. I'm pretty sure there's people here who would say they felt that I've shown them insincere love in the last year. I'm pretty sure that's the case. Why? Because I've meant to? No. But because I'm a broken person. And there's a lot of me in here and not as much Jesus as there should be. So I ask for forgiveness. I ask for grace. And I know that 2024, I want to be loving you more sincerely than I did in 2023. I want to be striving more to what God has called me to, to love you with a sincere love, a genuine love that honors you more highly than me, that puts you first, that devotes to you. That's what I want to do. I know I'll fall short, but that's not going to stop me trying. That's how we're the real thing. Not that we've arrived, but that we're striving to what God has called us to do. Philippians two one four says this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness or compassion, any. It's not like lots. Just any. If you have any of these. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, one in spirit, one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather than humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. I love the way that Paul says, make my joy complete. I'm like, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if we as a church could do that in 2024? Don't you think our joy as a church would be complete if we could do that? So this morning I started telling you about the gumball rally, about those guys that jumped onto the, uh, the rally without an entrance. They didn't want to miss out. They deliberately overlooked, their car didn't have a number. And maybe we're sitting here and we're thinking, you know what, I can relate to that. <laughs> I can relate to that. There's been things I've been doing in my Christian walk where I think, you know what, I've been trying to do the right things, but it hasn't been out of conviction. And this morning, God is saying to you, you know what? You can give yourself to me again. Make 2024 a year of reconnection, of recommitment. Make 2024 the year that you can be the real thing. There's a promise that God gives Israel. I'll finish with this. There's a promise that God gives Israel, um, and it's a picture for us. This is in Zephaniah. So there's a prophecy of Jesus coming, and then he says this, and I find it so beautiful because I think when it comes to being genuine and it comes for being the real thing to the world, then what we really want is the favor of God, not man. We don't do things for the appearance of man. We do things for God so that when God looks on us, he wants to take delight in us. And this is what it says, Zephaniah 3, 14 to 17. It says this. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He's turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. If I could just have the worship band up. I'd like us to to finish in a song, just as they get ready. This beautiful prophecy in Zephaniah talks about the Lord, the mighty warrior to save, singing over us, taking delight in us. And to do that, all it takes is bringing ourselves, believing in him, and loving each other with a genuine, heartfelt love. So if you want to be part of God's people that he takes delight in and sings over, I'd love us just to pray together. And what I'd love us to do, I'm going to invite you. If you are feeling 2024, yes, this is the real year that I want to be the real thing. Can you stand with me? I'm standing. I know I need to recommit to this. I need to recommit to being genuine, And I'm just going to say a prayer over us. Lord, I thank you for who you are. Thank you that you took me and every one of us, broken as we are, And you decided to reflect your son Jesus to a broken world through us. Lord, we want to be a good reflection of your son. This year, we want to be a better reflection of you than we were last year. So, this morning, as we stand, we make a commitment to be the real thing, to examine ourselves. To be honest with ourselves, to recognize that our motives are not your motives, but that your grace and your love is sufficient. We want to fix our eyes on you, we want to find your will for our lives. And Lord, when we know what your will is for us, we commit to run, run hard. We just pray this morning for a fresh touch of your spirit. Amen. And just before we sing, I'm hoping and I'm trusting that every single person here this morning knows Jesus. I'm hoping and trusting that every single person here this morning has examined their faith and knows that assurance in their heart that they are not condemned by the high, most high God because God's Spirit is within them. I'm hoping that. But I'm not assuming that. So I want to give, before we sing, just one opportunity. If you're here this morning and you've heard this story about being genuine, and you know maybe you've been in church a long time maybe you've done all these things but you know that even though you're on the rally you don't have a number on your car maybe you're afraid you're afraid that when you come to the end of the race that the law's going to catch up with you because you've never paid the entry price This morning you have an opportunity to be a true participant in this incredible journey with the Most High God. And I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. We're going to pray one more time. Let's pray this all together as a congregation. We're going to pray one more time and we're just going to commit ourselves, if we've never known God, we're going to commit ourselves to Him. So everyone just pray after me. We'll pray this in unity together. Father God, I am sorry sorry. that I try to do things my way. way. That I haven't paid the entry price. But But this morning, morning, I am willing to pay it. it. Lord, take my life. Take my my desires. Take desires. Take Take my heart. I recognize who you are. I recognize what your Son did on the cross. And I ask you to forgive me. I thank you for giving me life. Amen. Amen.